just want to pray first, gracious Lord. We just plead now that help from the Holy Spirit that we might glorify you and that we might edify ourselves and the saints here. And we thank you for indeed your loving, loving kindness and for this whole area here of people together. We ask you, Lord, now to help us by the Spirit indeed, in Jesus' name. So um, first, I've said this before, that I have to apologise for writing things because I suffer from a thing called dysphasia, which means I can come up with some silly ideas or silly words. <laughs> you wouldn't know what I meant. So I've written things down, please, if you don't mind. So I, I actually want to commence actually with a few words concerning the main purpose for our gathering in prayer, as if you didn't know. Uh, we, we can and do pray, obviously, for many things, but we feel called by God to seek the abundant, glorious life that we know began after Pentecost. But then years later, after Pentecost, this glory faded away, but rose again and faded again and so on several times in history. And in a low period, when there is, the Lord stirs us up, stirs up his people again. And saints wake up again, yearning for rivers of life. We're clearly now in a low state, but waking, waking up. And our, our currently dry period, I call it, is, is generally known as praying for revival. That's what we call it. We have every reason to believe that the Lord wants to revive us and will be with us in all our praying along this line. There's a lovely piece from Isaiah, just a short one there, Isaiah 41. It gives a wonderful hope. I found it anyway. Isaiah 44, verses 17 and 18. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue fails for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. That's his promise. In scripture, water is usually a type of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we can't live without water. And drought, of course, is it's a dire situation in any land. So I want to use Psalm 85, if you could, if you have a, a Bible with you, I'd like you to read it with me. It's very short. I want to use Psalm 85 in order to encourage ourselves in praying for the Lord's mercy and grace in this rather evil time. To begin with, Psalm 85 contains two sort of compact compact stories of revival. The first three verses speaks of thanks to the Lord for reviving saints, bringing his people back from captivity. So that's that situation there where they've, they have had a revival and they're, they're thanking God for it. So I read the, those first three verses there. It says, Lord, you have been favorable to your land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. You have taken away all your wrath. 
you have turned yourself from the fierceness of your anger. Now, a few points about that before I move on for it. Note that in verse one, the Lord mentions the land of Israel. First, first thing he says, you have been favorable to your land. This is speaking of him, of course, but he's been favorable to his land. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. And now Jacob, I think, was just a name for the whole nation. But the land, the land is the promised land. And the land was loved by God. And you'll find it in many places in the scriptures. Just a few lines from Deuteronomy 11, 11, 12. The land, it's a land of hills and valleys and that drinks the water of the rain of heaven. A land which the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are always open upon it. From the beginning of the year, even until the end of the year. But people, as we said, people relied on rain and the fruit of the land for life. So there's no doubt that the land was then, it was the first thing he mentioned, even before Jacob or the family or the nation. The land for life and the land was a type of the church. There's no doubt about that in my mind. Anyway, living water of the spirit pours out on his people. And he that abides in Christ brings forth much fruit. Moving on then to the next page page is where it goes to a place where the people are wanting revival and haven't had it yet. So God's people has, has at at, at that point in this part of the the, uh, psalm, it's succumbed, they've succumbed to barrenness and spiritual drought and praying great began. So read, read the next, it's from four, five, six, seven. Turn us, O God, of your salvation and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with, with us forever? Will you draw out or prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. This is along the lines of which we are praying. One of the most striking statements in that, in verse 6, revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. But the rejoicing isn't just for our happiness but the joy of being in Christ's presence. Now, I'd have to confess that rejoicing is not a common experience for me because I know I'm not living in the glory of revival. But go on to verse 8. Verse 8. In that verse and a few later, confidence grows in the, in the, in the, the, the people of the, the writers. Faith comes that the Lord is going to respond. So there's a lovely piece then in in verse 8. I will hear what the Lord, the God, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is near them that fear him, that glory may dwell 
in our land. So here we have now a, a kind of hope arising. He will speak peace unto us. Fear God and glory will shine on our land. Our land, which again I call our church, will be filled with the spirit glorifying God in the assembly. The psalmist then coming forward again, he's now more confident by faith. He actually now knows that the Lord is hearing his prayers. Verses 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Mercy for forgiveness and the truth of the word of God. Righteousness sows peace by them that make peace. Mercy and truth, righteousness and peace are united again. This is a wonderful change now for these saints in this psalm. Mercy and truth and peace united again. And we can understand just from one little line in Ephesians, Ephesians 4. It presents in some ways a result of revival. When it says, we all come, this is towards the ending of the accomplishment of revival. We have all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The, the filling of us is the prayer when it comes to our hope that we ourselves indeed will have this fullness in our lives and revival as a result. Verse 11, truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness will look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord who shall give that which is good and our land, again, shall yield her increase. So truth springs from a now fertile earth and again, a type of Christ bearing fruit. The Lord will fill us with blessings from heaven. As he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. And the increase of the yield in the land speaks of many more being saved. This is the land we're talking about. Therefore, I say the church, that's all of us. The increase of the yield of the land speaks of many more saved people. Righteousness shall go before him, before the Lord, and set, shall set us in the way of his steps. How wonderful, how blessed he is now turned to bringing us along that way which will please him. He'll come and pour out the spirit upon us again and fill us with mercy, truth, righteousness, peace and fruit. And just to finish... I, I, I'm, I'm tempted, I will, read this little piece here. It's only a short little bit. The label upon it that I have read was, it's a famous New Year's party. But I think from the point of view of revival that has happened, this is very old. You all know it, I'm sure. But it's a wonderful, glorious case of revival. So it's on Monday... January the 1st, 1739, a long time ago. Whitfield and the Wesley brothers, along with about 60 other brethren, were present 
at what they called a love feast in Fetter Lane. I think Fetter Lane was in London. I forgot to look that up. But John Wesley himself wrote this. About three in the morning, as we were continuing in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered, he says, a little from that awe, had, had, had recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice, we praise you, O God, we acknowledge you to be the Lord. It's just such a small but glorious example of a revival breaking out. Well, brethren, what have we got? Well, all that we ever will have is prayer. Prayer is all that we have. But not just prayer in words or Bible knowledge. God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is our goal. This is our what we yearn to do. Pray with the spirit of God helping and leading us into this wonderful thing that can happen to us, that we will we have a, a burst into our lives of life in mercy, in mercy. For this, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.